0: We pray you will be blessed by today's message. Invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter number 18. Many of you have been very kind to ask how my mother is doing. Uh, And she's doing okay. She's doing very well, I think. Um given all that she's gone through, I figured that out this week when I called her on Friday and and in the course of the conversation, I said to her, I said, Mother, I got my first grade back from class. And she said, what'd you get? I said, I got an A-. Mother said, well, honey, that means there's room for improvement. Which is not a comment my mother ever made, but it was a comment my father always made. And so, mother is doing well. Um, in fact, we hope to see her here next week. So, beloved, we you and I are, often feel like we're in a boxing match, and we never know where the next blow will come from. We just feel like we are being pounded. And we're trying to take uh, the the words of of Ali and move like a butterfly and sting like a bee, but we often get hit. And it's important for us to know how to hit back against the forces that hit us. And so this morning we take a look at the boxer's tail. Would you pray with me? Lord, in your boundless compassion, give us grace to hear a text that we have heard so many times. Let us hear it with fresh ears that we may speak and do your will and work in our world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we heard the admonition in The Outsider's Tale to be on the lookout for faith in unexpected places. This week we hear the boxer's tale. And as we do, we hear, we are jarred by the Lord's question at the end of verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It is a, an important question, particularly in light of the passage squeezed between last week's text. And this week's where Jesus speaks to the state of society when the Son of Man comes. The passage takes us back to those dark days in human history, the days of Noah and Lot, where righteousness and justice are counted in the minority as chaos and injustice reign. And Jesus says that the righteous in that day will cry out for relief. The times will be so perilous that those who are holding on to God will simply cry out for relief. How are we as believers to maintain faith in such circumstances and not get knocked out such that when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Well, verse 1 tells us in chapter 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they, always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You and I know this parable, right? It's the one where we pray, we keep on praying, we pray a little bit longer until we wear God out and get exactly what it is that we want. Wrong. That is the unfortunate misinterpretation this text has received far too much in modern thought. We are correct that the parable tells us, though, that we are to be persistent in prayer. Prayer, beloved, is the bond which continuously, continuously secures us to God. It is integral to our faith practice. For if we're to ever to weather the storms of life that we find ourselves continuously in, we must persist in prayer. We understate the power of prayer to our detriment. We forget that prayer is the means by which the Spirit, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, brings us into alignment with the will of God. Despite what we may believe, beloved, you and I are not continuously in the will of God. We stray. I'll say it. We get out of line. And when we get out of line, the storms of life grow greater. And so we need prayer to keep us in line. Because, beloved, there is no better spot that we can be in, in the middle of a storm, than to know that we are in the perfect will of God and that He will protect us and shelter us through the storm. But if we are out there far away, remember, if we're out of the will, he'll protect us, but it's nothing like being in the center. The winds will drive us and blow us to and fro. But we're in the center. We are secure. Secondly, we should remember that prayer is the infusion of hope in the midst of hopeless times. When we pray, beloved, we look beyond ourselves and toward the one who does all things well. We recognize in prayer that there is some task that we cannot do, that we cannot achieve. And we look beyond ourselves and we say, God, I know you can do this. And we remember as we do that God does all things well. So it will be a perfect answer. Might not always be the one we expect, It might not always be the one that we want, but beloved, you and I can have hope today that as we continue to pray, God will continue to bring us through to where things are well. We should also understand that when we invite into our confusion the one who is always, continuously working all things together for our good, that when we say, God, come into my confusion, he's going to align things together To make everything come to the point of peace. And isn't that ultimately where you and I want to be? To be at the point of peace? And beloved, if getting to the point of peace and knowing that God is working all things out for my good and knowing knowing that God is going to be the one who does all things well and so whatever he, or how he chooses to answer my prayer is going to be good and perfect... That should inspire hope. The question for us this morning is, does it? Does it inspire hope for us? Do we call out to God in the way and manner that we should all the time? Or are we always seeking to do things on our own, in our power, in our strength? Beloved, at the end of the day, I know that Mark Sanders is going to fail Mark Sanders. I know that. I have not had a perfect day yet. I'll never have a perfect day. But I know that God has always had a perfect day. And He's never failed me. And I can't hope in myself, but I can hope in Him. Now we should pause and recognize that Jesus is quite specific in what we should pray for and work toward during the perilous times in which he is offering this parable. And I would argue that it is what you and I should be praying for and working for regardless of the times that we find ourselves in. And why is that? It's justice. Notice verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus is quite pointed here in noting that the widow is pursuing justice. We don't know what matter that she has found herself to be at the wrong end and have been treated unjustly, but we know here that she is pursuing justice. And he is quite clear in verse number 7 that God will grant justice to those who persist in praying for the relief that justice brings to all those who are suffering from the weight of injustice. This parable, then, is not an invitation to use the avenue of prayer as a divine get-what-you-want scheme in which we continuously call out to God to get what we want. God should in no way be equated here to the unjust judge, which far too often he is, as the one who will give us what we ask if we just worry him enough. The text does say, though, that God will grant justice to all those who are praying for it, who are pursuing it, and he will do so speedily, quickly. So if we are to pray and we are to seek for justice, what is justice? It is a word that is used often in our modern discussions. And it certainly comes up often in the biblical narrative. We see the call for justice repeatedly. So, what is biblical justice? Obery Hendricks defines it this way He says, Biblical justice is the establishment or restoration of fair, equitable, and harmonious relationships in society. I'll give that to you again. Biblical justice is the establishment or restoration of fair, equitable, and harmonious relationships in society. It is a concept we should note that is represented more communally than individually throughout Scripture. In other words, God says that we are to bring justice in a community setting to work for the good of all, for harmonious relationships with all, and not just be continuously focused on ourselves, We would be wise this morning to remember, beloved, that the pursuit of justice is something that the people of God are continuously told to pursue and to seek throughout Scripture. Remember what we've heard many times over this travel narrative, Micah 6, eight. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The first thing, to do justly. In other words, to pursue justice. In Amos 5:15, we find once more God saying, To do good, to seek justice. Isaiah 117, we're told to seek justice correct oppression bring justice to the fatherless plead the widows called in other words we are to seek out and find and bring harmonious relationships across society, particularly to those who have no advocate, who have no one to speak for them, who are powerless and forgotten and overlooked, that normally we would just look aside when we see them. God tells us very clearly that we are to focus on them and pray and seek their relief. So how often do we do it? How often do you and I advocate and persist in prayer for justice in our society? Let's just focus this morning on a couple of issues. A couple of biblical issues that Jesus raises in Matthew chapter 25 as he recounts the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. Now, beloved, just think for a minute what he says here. You visited me. It goes beyond, if you were to go into the original language, it goes beyond simply visiting someone in their affliction. It means to go and advocate for their health, to see after their welfare, to bring a betterment to their welfare. So when we think of health issues in our society, do we do that? Are we just... Going and thinking that we've checked the box when we go to see someone in the hospital or we call them on the phone when they're sick, or do we go and seek to bring relief to them and advocate for relief, not just for them, but for other people who are facing their issues? I dare say there's not a single person in this room or listening online or later in the podcast this week who has not in some way found a problem with their prescription health care. All of us would say that the prices of drugs in the United States are far too high. How often is it that we advocate for lower prices? How often is it that we advocate for people to get the health care that they need? Across wide swaths of our nation, there are no hospitals, there are no doctors. You have to drive for miles to get to one because there is a crisis in rural health care. I have experienced this firsthand in my own family. You and I can sit here and breathe easy in our oasis of health care where we can get to Cone or Baptist or Chapel Hill or Duke at the drop of a pen where we have everything right at our hands. But there are massive places across our state where people can't access health care like that. Part of what facilitated my father's death was an inadequate uh, transport system in eastern North Carolina in which he just could not find transport all the time to get to his doctor's appointments. We are to call out that problem in our society and say it needs to be fixed if we are going to hear what Jesus said and say that we are to visit those who are sick. Jesus also said, I was in prison and you minister to me in Matthew 25. Now this is something that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, but let me go farther. Beloved, do we concern ourselves with how the prisoners are housed in our country? Do we care whether or not they are adequately housed, whether it be in Alamance County Jail or in North Carolina's um, Department of Corrections or in the Federal Department of Corrections? Do we care how they're put up? We're just Most of us just are concerned that they're put away. But Jesus said, I was in prison and you ministered to me. Do we ever stop and inquire what it means that 8% of the prisoners in our nation are housed in private prisons? And what does that mean? Some of you may just have sat there and go, we have private prisons in this country? What does that mean for our our correctional uh, system? What does it mean for our criminal justice system that we have private prisons? A final point. Jesus talks about hunger and thirst and us feeding and bringing a cup of cold water in Matthew 25. What does it say about our society, beloved, when we have 9 million children, 12% of U.S. children, who live in food-insecure households where they don't know from the next moment where their next plate of food will be. Nine million children. I believe the population of North Carolina is somewhere around 11 to 12 million. So almost our entire state worth of population is the number of children who don't know where their next mouthful will come. And what does it say when looking at that and knowing that, you know, we can make programs to, to feed the children? What does it say that an article this week about the North Carolina U.S. Senate election said that groups from outside of North Carolina are spending $30 million on this election? People who don't even live in North Carolina are spending $30 million to tell us how we should vote. And that the most recent estimates are that $9.3 billion will be spent this year on the 2022 election. Why are children in America going hungry when we are throwing away money to put ads on television? Why are children in America going hungry, beloved? Why are people unable to get the health care they need? When I have to see the same stinking ad every time I turn on the television like I didn't hear it the first 52 times. You say, well, preacher, I don't know anything about all this. Note in Matthew 25 that Jesus does not get us off the hook because we are ignorant about the issues. They say, how was I supposed to know And Jesus says, I was there. You should have done it anyway. Because they are created in the image of God. And you and I are to advocate for all those who are likewise created in the image of God. Whether or not we recognize their plight, whether or not we understand their plight or not. Now you may say, Pastor, you are, have gone off the rails this morning and you are being awful political. Beloved, you and I, you and I have for far too long allowed ourselves to divorce our politics from our faith. We say one thing and we do another. Our faith should be the defining guide of how we live, period. Every part of how we live. And beloved, you and I cannot say that one party in our society has all the answers. The issues are too broad and too complicated for one group to have all the answers. You and I are to go and advocate for the forgotten. And let me add one other point. If $9.3 billion is being spent this year on jobs that don't pay that much to begin with, we must ask ourselves, if the ones who are seeking office are doing so to pursue justice, or are they doing so to have the raw power and access that power brings? Jesus holds up for us this morning, beloved, the clear image that we are to pursue justice. And we must recognize that when Jesus says that God will grant justice quickly, speedily, that very often you and I are the instruments that he uses to deliver the knockout blow that justice brought brings. Did you notice that it was the widow's persistence that causes the unjust judge to grant relief? We're taken inside his head in verses 4 and 5 as he tells us that he recognizes, the judge recognizes, that he is unjust. He recognizes that he doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. He recognizes that he is wrong. And he says he does not want to be be beat down by her continually coming before him, pleading her case. Once again, the language of English does us a grave disservice because the phrase there, beat me down by her continual coming, means in the Greek, I don't want to get a black eye by this woman. I don't want her to hit me so hard that I get a black eye. Was he talking about a physical black eye? No, no, no. He was talking about a social black eye. He was talking about how others would see him. He didn't want this woman to win the upper hand to make him look bad. And so he says, I'll give in to her. Beloved, are you and I that persistent? Some things, we may say, are too well entrenched in our society and that we can't do anything about them, that it would require work. Well, beloved, why should that stop us? Why should that stop us? Ultimately, beloved, if we pursue justice on whatever issue it is and we seek to bring about justice for the forgotten and the overlooked the least of these, as Jesus would refer to them, we will ultimately, on the side that is being unjust, they will say, I can't get a black eye here, so I will seek to avoid that, and I will give in and bring justice. History is filled with these instances. So the question is, why aren't we doing it? Well, Mark, there's just too many issues. Fine. Fine. Pick one. Pick one, beloved. What's yours? Well, I know there's too many. You know what, beloved? If you were to go to cookout, there are 40, 40 different flavors of milkshake. Now, I guarantee you that not a single one of you going to pick a flavor of milkshake, we go to the cookout drive through and look up and see the 40 different ones that are there and say to yourself, well, they're just not, uh, just too many. I can't pick and just go off. Would you? No. You go through the line at the Golden Corral where there's a bazillion other choices and you don't go, well, there's just too many things here to pick from. Church potluck, we got two lines of food from from here to Nancy and back. And not a single soul says, well, I can't eat today. There's too many to pick from. No, what do you do? You pick something. Find where God has called you to be his person to advocate for justice in this world and get up and do it. You are called to be God's boxer. You are the extension of His hand. And beloved, the mighty hand of God is a powerful hand. And if you would get up and just go box for Him, I'm sure you could deliver a knockout blow. But sitting back and saying, well, I don't know what to pick from, is not it. Some will say, but Pastor, I would rather... Just go and witness and evangelize the world. Beloved, let me be clear. Our pursuing justice for the oppressed and the overlooked, the forgotten and the unwanted in this world is evangelization. It is most assuredly just as much evangelization as going and knocking on somebody's door and inviting them to faith. It is most assuredly just as much evangelization as, as we will do this coming Saturday during our fall festival. Because it is saying to groups of humanity who feel like they are unloved that they are loved. It is saying to groups of humanity who feel like they are forgotten that they are remembered. It is saying to them that they are not alone. That in the midst of their storm, there is someone there. That we are there. And that more importantly, God is there with them. No less a model than Jesus states this case because Jesus went and advocated for the forgotten and told all the parables about the forgotten and what happened, people believed on him. And if we have that held up as our model, as our example, then beloved if Jesus did it, you and I can do it because we are called to what? Follow in his steps. A poor neglected widow was the ultimate boxer in this morning's text. A widow was greater than Muhammad Ali. She boxed and she won and Jesus calls each of us to do that and the question for us this morning is will we put on the gloves and go and seek the knockout blow that our society so desperately needs right now to bring a more just and equitable people into our world that ultimately you and I may fulfill the prayer of Jesus your kingdom come your will be done On earth as it is in heaven, heaven where there is nothing but justice, where there is nothing but the remembered, where there are no forgotten, where there are no unloved, where everyone sits equally around the table of grace and dines. Will we do that? Let us, beloved, never run the risk of one day standing before the great king and the great king say to us, you didn't visit, you didn't feed, you didn't provide drink, you did not advocate for me. Let us stand before the great judge and say I got a TKO and it was all because of you. Let's pray. Lord we are a fickle people help us to be persistent. Help us to answer your clear call to pursue justice. In the heart of every person here today, Lord, place an issue. And don't let them sleep until they know that they have done all that they have expended all that your justice is known because Lord there should be no one in this world who feels forgotten and unloved everybody should know that you love them And that it is our place to go and let it be known. Move in the hearts of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.